Hey, Tyrell, are you there? Tyrell, can you hear me? There we go. Now I got you. You got me? I got Hang you, man. Shit. Am I, uh... Sorry, my headphone. Hang on a second. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Weird. Uh... All right, I'm going to have to just do it without the, the fancy uh, call-in equipment, which uh, isn't, isn't working, but are you there? Yeah, I'm here, man. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, so um, welcome to uh, TK Live. Uh, let's see. We've we already got some people uh, here. Um Hello. I'm gonna tweet it out. Uh, there you again, go. There you just, go. Just to um, just to remind people that uh, that this is happening. So um, while I'm doing that, and for 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 those uh, in the audience who maybe aren't familiar um, with uh, with the situation, first of all, this is Tyrell Ventura, the former host of uh, Watching the Hawks on RT, um, son of Jesse Ventura. Um, there's a uh, a new interview up uh, on TK uh, with Justin Tyrell right now. And the reason that we're doing this uh, in large part is because uh, you, you, you and your dad have opened up a new site on Substack. Uh, can you tell people uh, what that's about? Just briefly, well, like... Hmm? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome new site that me and my dad are embarking on because, uh, you know, it's called Die First, Then Quit. Uh, we've, uh, you know, me and my father have worked off and on together over the years. And, and after we uh, were unceremoniously uh, uh, taken off the air of the, at RT America, we both kind of had to put our heads together. And, you know, the thing with me and my dad is that we, we love to speak out we love to call it hypocrisy we love to speak truth to power and we love to educate people and we like to make people think and so we have to find a new avenue and outlet to do that and one of the interesting elements about our careers is that we've everything that we've done has never been like a uh it's always had to involve like either a team of people or a, or, a, or a network or an outlet where you have to go through you know four or five different levels just to kind of get your show on the air uh, in some capacity, and so the great thing about Substack is is that it, it allows us to kind of speak directly to the audience without all of the middlemen in between for good or for worse. And, uh, you know, because we've had some great experiences dealing with, you know, entities and production companies and things like that, and we've had horrible experiences. Um, right. You know, but uh, but Substack kind of allows that that just straight, unfiltered Jesse Ventura and and... and me as his uh his robin so to speak <laughs> yeah how's that gonna work is it is it are you gonna be writing uh too or is it gonna be like are you gonna be sort of co-hosting like what's 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 gonna be the format it's gonna it's interesting with it's interesting because you know jesse uh made a vow never to own a cell phone or a smartphone uh, because he just didn't like the idea of constantly being on the phone or constantly being available all the time or getting distracted by it, as we all do. Uh, so that's where I kind of fit into this part of his life and this part of his next adventure is that I am technically aware and I can kind of do all these wonderful, you know, Internet of Things for him. 
Uh, and so how it'll work on Substack is, you know, we will collaborate on every piece that we put out uh, by and large, you know, so I'll probably do a majority of the, the physical process of writing, but that's going to come from, you know, a lot of back and forth discussion for me and Jesse talking about what he wants to see in an article, what his opinions are on it, on the subject we're talking about. And so that'll kind of be what the written pieces are. I'll be the one kind of actually grinding it out on the keyboard. Uh, but, uh, but it'll be Jesse, you know, be channeling Jesse, probably walking behind me at times while I do it. Uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, and, uh, and then, uh, the, then we'll also do podcasts and things like that, that audio of things like that, where we'll meet either me and him will sit down and talk, or, you know, he'll talk to a guest or, or, you know, various things of that nature, uh, on, on the audio front. Uh, where you can do kind of more longer pieces uh, and, and, and really, you know, get into the, the nuts and bolts, whether it be an interview or a subject. Jesse's a great talker, so you don't want to limit Jesse just to the written word. You want to be able to really, cat, you know, his voice is best hearing yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I, I almost used the word loquacious in, in, the, uh, in the article for the yes. first time ever because uh, <laughs> it applies to him. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then lastly... Uh, we're going to bring our, our, our years of knowledge of, of, of working with video and, and camera production and, and, and visual production uh, to, the, to the fore as well, allowing Jesse, you know, doing like little uh, video vignettes and pieces like Jesse kind of equates. It's like putting him back uh, with me and Gene again and, and doing wrestling interviews or wrestling promos, but uh, also another levels of, of him to be able to kind of speak out. And, uh, and, and then we'll see where it goes. I mean, even in the interview we talked the other day, you know, we, you came up, uh, we were talking about, you know, possibly trying to do like li- some, a live stream of, uh, you know, like the State of the Union address with me and Jesse and guests commenting on that uh, as it's live happening and, and, you know, figuring out how we can do all these different avenues. And the great thing is Substack kind of allows you to do that and, and, and the people there allow you to play because ultimately it's you. You know, ultimately, you're you're publish you're publishing it uh, yourself, and so it, it just gives you the platform to do it on, and and we're really excited to do it. Yeah, it's sort of like media without bosses, and w- which is interesting because you, both you and your dad have had have had some pretty uh, unique bosses in the media world over the years. Um, you know, <laughs> beginning with MSNBC. Uh, so. You know, there's one thing I, I wasn't able to squeeze into the um, into the text of the interview, but you know, we, we one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, because because you were with your dad, right, a little bit uh, during that MS, MSNBC experience. Were you were you working with him? How 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 did that, how did that go? Yeah, that kind of came about as I I had I had spent like I graduated at 18, and then he won governor literally within kind of that same year, and uh, and so then I at through luck would have it got to go off and work with Sean Penn because I always wanted to be in the film industry and be a film director and writer uh, so I went off and worked for Sean Penn for you know three years uh, three to four years and right kind of at the end of that or, or a little bit of overlap Jesse had gotten had closed the deal to work for MSNBC right as he got out of office in I think 2002 2003 and so I was kind of like well you know if dad gets this off the ground I'm, I'm young I need the experience I would love to kind of you know help in any way and so you know, really, I kind of came on board initially just to kind of help represent Jesse's voice when, you know, he couldn't be in the office at times or just to kind of just be there to, to, to help and do some writing and do, you know, what jack of all trades kind of stuff. Because I was very, you know, I was young uh, in the business still. I was only maybe 22 years old. And um, 
and so you know Jesse's a firm believer in nepotism at times. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> deny it, you know, uh, you know, because uh, he he spent his life getting his foot in the door, and so he, his belief is if you find someone talented, especially if it's their son, if it's his son, you know, you got to help out the son. So um, so yeah, that's kind of how that came about. So I was there for for most of the the ups and downs of that whole roller coaster that was the experience of trying to produce a show back in two thousand two two thousand three four MSNBC, and it it was a it was an eye-opening reality that kind of, even on my limited knowledge of the business at that time, really put a distaste in my mouth, an awful taste in my mouth for the news entertainment business you know, right. that, is, that is cable news. You know. In our talk, you made a really interesting observation that's almost never brought up, and, and, and I really wanted to make sure that we got to it in, in this discussion but um you, you talked about how they, they never told you what to say but they did give you sort of guidelines about what the topics would be right could you could you, could you elaborate on that a little bit? yeah what at least in in my time working there i don't know if it's changed i mean that was almost 20 some years ago but in, in my time there you would get kind of the five to ten five you know five to seven stories in your inbox every morning that the network as a whole was covering and you definitely felt very a lot of unease and and dare I say pushback uh, if you came back and said, "Oh, we're not really interested in covering you know any or all of these stories." Um, what what kind of what I understood at the time was that it, it's they didn't mind host or you know host giving their take on the stories, but they really didn't like it if a host said, "Oh, I don't want to do that story today." And so right. it's kind of that unspoken, as you know, in newsrooms, I think you've written about it in, in your book, there's that kind of unspoken censorship, you know, where, where it's, it's no, one, no one says you have to do those stories, but everybody does those stories because no one's going to be the person to say, well, I'm not going to do that, you know, yeah, I mean, in, in that looks- kind of corporate environment, you know, and, you, you know you're, and, and so the host can kind of give their opinions of it. Well, Jesse's not that guy. He didn't want to sit and talk at the time. The hottest stories out were like Lacey Peterson. And I think the Kobe Bryant rape trial in Colorado. Um, and obviously, you know, the run up to the Iraq war and, and it, you know, so that was pretty much all that was talked about. That's why when you tune in the news today, if no matter what network you're on, it's the same four or five stories each day. Always. Yep. Always. Yeah. You know, so that leads me to believe that that process of how, these shows pick their stories hasn't changed, you know, because like, right. they don't really pick their stories. They kind of, I don't know who decides it. I, I, we never really did get an answer back as to who was the grand poobah that said, this is what every network, this is what our network's running with today. Um, but it was that feel, you know, you, you couldn't deviate. Well, Jesse did. And, and it made them uncomfortable. I remember we, you know, rather than, cause Jesse's idea was like, look, I'll talk about like the Lacey Peterson case maybe once, but why do I need five straight days of coverage on it? Like, right. you know, nothing's really changing from day to day. Um, the overall themes are important for people to talk about, but that murder trial deals with that her and her family and all that. Why? Do, how does that affect the rest of the country? There's a million other stories out there that have a direct effect on the rest of the country as opposed to that one, you know, scandalous trial or whatever it might be that, that everybody tunes into because it's all, you know, it's all about ratings at the end of the day. It, you know, it's it's always interesting to me that that, that um, media critics never talk about this phenomenon. I mean, not not even Noam Chomsky really got into this. 
you know, he he did talk about that other thing that I mentioned in Hate Inc. and that Chris Hedges will talk about sometime, which is that, you know, in a big news organization, everybody knows what stories the editors don't want, right? Like, it, again, mm-hmm. it's, un, it's unspoken. You know, no, nobody has to tell you, like, we don't we don't really want to do this. Uh, we, we really don't want... Um, you know, stories about this topic that is, uh, is uncomfortable for our particular demographic or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other kinds of censorship, which I think are really interesting. Like I knew this one reporter um, who, uh, who, who did a story about a, a murder in a, in a small town in Georgia. And they, the TV station didn't like the visual um, of poor people on TV, so he had to recut the interviews as his own stand-ups because poor people depress advertising, like images of them. Oh yeah, yeah. The choice of topics is like a big deal in te- in, in news, right? Like if yeah, if you if you can't squeeze in, you know, ninety nine percent of the other stuff that never gets talked about, um, that that's a big part of the of the whole. Suppression of, of of media in a way, isn't it? It is completely because you know when they're when when they're dictating what we're all supposed to talk about. Like because at the end of the day, you have to remember is it, it, you know some people you know yeah there's the okay ratings 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 I get that of course, but there's still someone at the beginning of each day or each news week that says okay this is the story we're running with, you know this is the thing we're going to cover, and you know, so it's still ultimately, ha- you know, it's like if the news networks chose, let's say, to ignore the Johnny Depp trial, right, and focus right. on other things, would it still be pop? Maybe on social media it'd be popular, but, you know, would it become the ratings giant it was? I don't know, because no one's ever done that. <laughs> you know, no one's, right. you know, in today's media, news media, no one's ever said, hey, let's just ignore what we know hypothetically will be rating because you don't know if it's a snake eating its tail like okay we're putting this out because it gets ratings well is it getting ratings because you're putting it out or is it because that's what people actually want to see and no one's ever really been able to kind of do the i guess the proper experiment to ever really see if that's true i mean i guess yeah. in a way yeah like you know most people are always going to gravitate towards celebrity or whatever it is but realistically yeah you know in my experience there you definitely we didn't feel the the like in the office vibe of censorship because we're we were shooting that in Minneapolis, which was already kind of going against the grain of how most news network and news media runs. It's pretty much run from the coasts. Uh, so we kind of had our own little pocket for a while there while we were building the show and testing it and running it up. And then when they did finally, you know, after pulling their teeth, uh, allow us to go on the air for you know a measly ten to twelve. I guess weeks or episodes, um, you know, we were kind of our own little cottage industry in Minneapolis for a while where we were able to actually talk about a lot of subjects that they kind of said, they figured they kind of ignored us because at a certain point it was like, well, we don't really want to put anything into Jesse. We don't want to do this. He's not the person that we thought we were buying. He's against the Iraq war. We want to be to fly, you know, we want to be to folks for the Iraq war. Uh, so we'll just bury him on Saturday night. And that did give us a little bit of freedom there to where, because we were not on the coast, we didn't have to like buzz into the MS, you know, to 40 Rock and, you know, 
you know, going to the offices to have everyone look at us strangely, we were, we were able to do a couple really interesting shows that talked about drug legalization, uh, the, the overspending on the war on terror. And, you know, from off the top of my head, it was 20 years ago, so forgive me if I don't remember all of them. I mean, we even got the JFK assassination in there for a Saturday night on a, on a mainstream cable news network. So, you know, it was, it was interesting in what it was, but ultimately, eventually, they did pull the, pull the plug because they knew that, that Jesse wasn't going to cheerlead what they wanted him ultimately to cheerlead on their channel. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, it's, uh, it's an amazing story. Um, yeah, in, in, terms, in terms of, you know, doing a story that, nobody else is doing the only example i can really think of in history of a news organization deciding to do that and stick with that was the washington post with watergate because they were all alone on that for a long time um yeah yeah and nobody else did it but 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 really you know for the most part and especially now in the social media age like you know it's all dictated by what's what's trending and oh that's just a strange thing anyway so so you, you 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 got moved out of MS, MSNBC. You both ended up at RT. How did that? How did you both end up there? Uh, it 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 started. Well, we had did that. We, me and Jesse. Then we kind of both. You know, Jesse went off and did Jesse things. You know, and then I went off to Hollywood, uh, right. and was pursuing that career. And then in my weird life story, which I don't know if we want to get too deep into or not, but I ended up you know, working a little bit in Hollywood and doing some really fun things. But then I got to be like 27 and uh, decided I, I, I wanted out of Hollywood just for a little while. So I went down and, and stayed and, and care, was the caretaker at Jesse's place down in Mexico for three years on the beach. Uh, and so it was at that time I got an email saying, hey, uh, would you be interested in helping us produce this show called Conspiracy Theory that your dad's going to be doing for True TV? And I was like, oh, well, let me ask, you know, Jesse from dad if it's okay. Uh, and, you know, he, of course, said, of course, you know, because I think they kind of wanted me. They knew I had produced other television and things like that before uh, while I was working in L.A. in my 20s. Um, and so they kind of just, like I said, wanted somebody who could be in L.A. full time to have Jesse's voice there. So we did that series together. And then coming off of that series, I was approached uh, by a YouTube channel, me and Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son, and uh, Tabitha Wallace. Uh, we're all approached to do a show called uh, Buzzsaw uh, for this uh, YouTube network, kind of back when like YouTube channels were first kind of coming in, like in 2010, or no, I'm sorry, like maybe 2012, 2013. And so I had done that. And in the process of doing that show, uh, I got asked to be interviewed by Abby Martin on Breaking the Set, which was uh, kind of RT America's, like, I guess you could say big hit at the time, or at least the, the show a lot of people knew about uh, that was on the network. So I went and did uh, an interview on Abby's show, and in the process of that, I met the folks at RT and the, and the network execs, there, you know, the network execs there, and they kind of said, would you be interested in kind of taking what you're doing on YouTube but doing a show for us? And I said, well, um, I will only do that if I have total editorial control. Uh, mm. Because of the bad taste in my mouth that I kind of went through with MSNBC, I laid that on the table right away and said, look, I'm not going to go through what I went through, you know, eight, you know, back in the 03, you know, 10 years later. Uh, 
especially for a, a foreign news network that I don't even know what your prince, you know, what it is, you know, at that point. Right. Um, but they, no, they, they did. They said, no, you'll have total editorial control. And uh, so we put together and started watching the Hawks, I think back in about 2014, 2015. I, me and uh, Tabitha moved from LA, Sean stayed in LA, but they, they brought the three of us on to do watching the Hawks. Um, and that's how I got there. Convert on the other side of the, with dad, uh, he, you know, he was kind of, it was right, or I believe it was like, he was essentially working also an internet show for, at the time, Larry King's channel, Aura TV, and was doing something there, uh, because none of the networks would really touch him, he didn't really have any outlets, because also at the same time, I think you had the Chris Kyle trial going on, which was kind of another way the media kind of jumped on and kind of blacklisted him as well, because they kind of jumped on Chris Kyle's side in that, in that trial. And then when it went to appeal, they legitimately jumped into the into the case, writing a, a, a massive letter saying that this this decision for Jesse needs to be overturned, because ultimately, I guess in a nutshell, is we want to be able to print untruths and not be held accountable to them in the court of law um, about individuals. Um, and so Jesse essentially was ostracized. I was at RT, uh, and because of my connection at RT America, they essentially kind of created allowed for jesse to kind of come on board and create his own show there so for a change i got my dad a job essentially yeah it's like reverse <laughs> yeah, nepotism. yeah reverse nepotism i was able to get my dad a job <laughs> that's excellent that's excellent yeah and, and um and he really as, as he said he really enjoyed like uh, enjoyed the job because it, it allowed him to like not leave the house right oh yeah they, they set up a studio downstairs for him and, mm -hmm. and all that right <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like he liked it. I mean, he 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 enjoyed that show because, like you said, it, it they they really treated him well. Um, and again, like me, they didn't they didn't go in to try to tell him what he couldn't talk about or could talk about. They didn't get involved in that. They just kind of let Jesse be Jesse, um, you know. So it, it, you know, it had a certain amount of uh, uh, freedom that way. Uh, that was enjoyable that I knew that you weren't going to get. And, and so I, you know, me, both me and Jesse together cranked out shows. You know, he did once a week, I did five nights a week. And, um, it was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a marathon, uh, to do that. I, 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 I don't recommend it unless you've got like some real, you got to have stamina, uh, to do that job day in and day out of just going on TV in general and then doing the news in general, because it's, a, it, you always feel like you're on a freight train that's kind of moving forward that you didn't, you don't remember getting on, but you don't know, even know how to get off. Uh, and you're just trying to keep up with it on a daily basis. Sure. Um, okay. Here's sort of an uncomfortable question about your experience at RT. I mean, it, it had to have become after Trump got elected, a, uh, an uncomfortable place to work for a number of reasons, right? Like there was that intelligence assess assessment that essentially identified RT as an arm of an interference campaign against the United States. And, you, you know, I, I, on the one hand, a lot of what they what that uh, the, the DNI wrote in that report was was absurd. They're basically mm -hmm. saying, like, you know, the United States is under attack because you guys were covering the Occupy movement and fracking <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but on the other hand, look, there was an angle to it where you know, Russia was hiring people who were being uh, critical of the United States 
in a truthful way, right? But mm-hmm. still, they were, you know, it, it, it was, it was, it was criticism. Yeah. Um, it served their ends clearly, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. so did you? What What were your thoughts about that? I mean, and 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 did it become uncomfortable? Well, you know, it it kind of ebbed and flowed. It, you know, it would it would be one of those situations where something like that would come up, or or some other thing would come up, where suddenly you're kind of in the crosshairs, and everyone's calling you a traitor, whether officially or unofficially, or you know, you're getting, you know, crushed on social media constantly. So it it that you know it de- it definitely ebbed and flowed of just feeling that mixture of feelings where you kind of have to second guess yourself and say okay wait am, am i doing something wrong here you know am i am i taking part in something that 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 you know in the long scheme of things i'm i'm going to end up being like uh uh there was that famous uh a uh, woman, I think, who the American like theater actress, who the the Nazis had employed at one point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, am I going to end up like that? Is that what I'm doing here? And I'm just not seeing the forest to the trees. But what kind of balanced me from you know, because you're you're only a human being, you're going to have that thought, especially when you're being bombarded with it uh, by every other news outlet and and government agency, uh, and especially living in Washington D.C. on a daily basis. Um, what kind of brought me back to say, no, I'm not working because, you know, I'm not working as an arm of the Kremlin or, or doing the Kremlin's bidding because, A, um, I can be critical of them if I want to be. Uh, B, I'm trying to reach the U.S. I'm trying to change my own country. I, I, I put it to like this, Matt. I think that if I was working, let's say, at like RT Moscow as an American from mm-hmm. Moscow, I would have felt much differently. Then I would have felt, well, wait, I don't even live in the country, but yet I'm going to sit outside its borders and criticize it. Right. Where right. I'm living in the U.S. dealing with the problems that our government creates for citizens like myself and others. So that, that was another element that kind of made me feel, no, I'm okay in doing this. I'm okay with myself in doing this. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's, you know, I tried always on my shows to present valid criticism when I was criticizing. At the same time, you know, and also especially during the Trump thing, I railed on Donald Trump on my show. Right, you know, I, I, I went after Trump hard on my show. The same as I, same as I went after Hillary because I didn't like either candidate. But it wasn't like I suddenly had to go lockstep and say, "Ooh, rah rah, Trump." Um, you know, so and and that newsroom at RT, there was definitely folks in there who were very pro-Trump. There was also folks in there who were very pro-Bernie Sanders. There was also folks in there who were very pro-Clinton. Um, you did have kind of a. a, a at the time, and that at least in 2016, you did have, you know, it was you did see different ideologies at play in that newsroom and, and on the shows there. Um, so because of that, I kind of felt like, okay, you know what, I'm okay right now. I'm not seeing just a one. I'm not being told to be one-sided, nor am I seeing a one-sided effect. Um, right. You know, in the universal criticizing of the, of the states, well, you know what, I'm a citizen here, and I have a right to be able to criticize my country, even if that even if my country doesn't like the platform I'm doing it on. So, yeah. And then there's, there's the added element of, you know, you and your, and, and your father were, were probably only at RT because in, in part, because you'd had that experience at MSNBC of essentially being kicked out of the network for opposing the war. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's an odd 
dynamic there where, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you could you could argue that it's Russian propaganda, but on the other on the other hand, um, you know, you, you're only there because of uh, you know a similar dynamic with the, with the United States attitude toward, attitude towards media. So it was strange. Yeah, um, yeah, it, 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 it was a weird time to, to be alive, and it was, and you know, I don't look, and, and I, the other thing, too, that kind of made me feel um, okay with my work there, that I didn't, you know, I wasn't feeling like, oh, I'm a propagandist, or I'm being disloyal to my nation, or something like that, was the fact that having that show, and the people that I was, uh, I was able to put on watching the Hawks, I'm, I'm sure my dad would feel the same way for his show, but I was able to put activists and 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 minority groups and and people that don't normally get a platform to talk about the ills that they're facing or to speak out on wrongs that have been committed to them uh you know we were able to to get you know trans activists on there that before that became a you know that before any kind of like they before they made any headway into like you know the national dialogue uh about trans rights uh, we were, I know, we were at Standing Rock before the rest of the media, uh, you know, was there. Uh, they they kind of followed us there. We were there far earlier than them. Um, right. I remember during the Freddie Gray murder in Baltimore, uh, my co-host Tabitha went up to cover Freddie that that you know the the protests going on in that. And what was really interesting is that the people in the protests, the citizens of Baltimore who were in the streets protesting that murder, uh, she. She was parking her car and got out of the car, and there was a couple people on the block there, and they were like, "Well, who are you?" And, and she's like, "Well, I'm, I'm I'm news media." And they say, "Well, who are you with?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm with RT." And they said, "Oh, oh, okay, that's cool. You can park here." You know, and, huh. and you know because the, what happened is you saw like Tabitha out in the crowd of the protesters, whereas you know Jake Tapper and CNN and all of them were sitting behind the blue line they were sitting under the you know protection of the police um and so i think that you had a lot of people kind of see a dichotomy there of like how wait a minute so russian tv's covering our perspective but then the rest of the networks are saying they're covering our perspective but then are sitting there behind the people that we're protesting against um we saw that again too with uh the rolling thunder uh, uh, rally that happens every or used to happen every year around Memorial Weekend uh, in D.C. where all the bikers get together to rally, you know, to do a big, uh, uh, essentially a big like uh, biker gathering in, in on the Capitol lawn, you know, on the National Mall uh, to bring attention to, to Vietnam and, and U.S. Uh, veterans' rights and POWs. We were there, and there was no other except for local. There wasn't any other major national cable news media covering that rally. And I remember a lot of the vets would come up to us and be like, "I, I don't know if I can swear on here, but a lot of the vets were coming up to our, to, to tab on us, saying, "Wait a minute, so CNN and Fox ain't covering us, but fucking Vladimir Putin is." You know, so, you know, so there was there was you know when you got feedback like that from groups of people that were just looking to have a, a platform and looking to have a voice saying, hey, thank you for giving us a voice. Otherwise, we don't have one. That made it okay to me, you know, right. in, in terms right. of working there. It justified all the other bullshit I had to go through. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and, as, and especially, you know, when the director of national intelligence says that it's essentially an offense against the United States to cover, like, the fracking yeah. Uh, issue like I don't know it's it's very strange uh, so last thing before before uh, we could hopefully take a couple of questions 
the the whole demise of RT, you know, the way it was removed sort of systematically from all these different platforms, Xfinity, Comcast, you know, DirecTV, um, you know, what's what's your feeling about that? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really mourn the loss of RT. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I actually think, forget about what the network is. It, it's, the, it's the principle of um, the ability of somebody, uh, you know, up on high to, to make a couple of phone calls and remove a network from uh, the air. I mean, it was, it was outlawed outright in Europe, which I think mm-hmm. is worse. But, um, but you know, we, we did the same thing in Iraq. Like, we didn't allow Al Jazeera in occupied Iraq, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I think was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what's your, what's your feeling about that? Because I, it, the, the precedent of it does worry me. Well, it, it, it's interesting on many fronts because right, right I, I, you know, at the time I had moved back to Minnesota for, for some personal reasons and Hawks was no longer on the air. So I was just working as a contributor essentially uh, to the channel. Um, and so they had me on kind of right before all that happened when, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Putin was threatening to invade and then did invade. Um, so it, it was interesting looking at how all that took place because on one hand, you know, I, I understand the nature of a private company being able to maintain that ability to decide what goes on its airwaves. Like, I, I get that side of that argument of, well, hey, you know what? Uh, Twitter can ban who the fuck they want because it's Twitter. I understand that argument. Um, in fact, at one point, I think I, I even argued to somebody saying, like, why do you give... You know, when you saw when you saw all those bans taking place, which I disagreed with, I don't think people should be banned. I think that I think you want to hear every viewpoint and every side of a story or or opinion simply because I don't ever I don't like not knowing how someone feels about something. I don't like not knowing what an institution feels or a representative of a company or or an individual uh, talking head or commentator or whatever. I like to know where everybody stands on all the issues. And so I, I don't like the idea of, you know, that kind of idea of censorship of, well, this person said something that we don't like. We shouldn't hear that anymore. And let's just get rid of it completely. To me, that's worse because then that makes people scared to say how they feel or in, or drives them deeper underground, which could result in even worse things. No, I, I love the free exchange of ideas, even if they're terrible ideas. Um, at the same time, I also understand that there has to be some level of allowing a company to say who they, a company, not a government, of saying who they, they want on their airwaves or on there. I also understand that argument. And then I also understand the argument that says, yeah, but if that company's deeply embedded, you know, with the government or working hand in hand with the government, then that's no longer a private company telling you what to do. That's, that's, you know, there's, there's a weird gray area there that we're trying to navigate in this time space. Um, do I believe L- RT America should have been removed the way it was or RT in general? No, because you want to hear the other side. Even if you vehemently disagree with the other side, you still want to hear the other side. So a, you can better counter their arguments, uh, when they come across it also. So you can tell, you know, if you make up your own mind about about a, about a news story of, of what it right. is. I mean, that that's kind of the essence of what I tried to do on my show for years. Is like I didn't want people to think like me. I just wanted to make people think. 
And the only way you can do that is by allowing them to have as many different opinions and, 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 out, and, and all of the facts and things like that in front of them so someone can make an educated opinion. I think that there's a very real issue in today's politics, regardless of party, uh, especially in the U.S., that somehow there's an educated element and then the rest of us are all so mindlessly stupid that we don't know how to think for ourselves, so we need people to think for us. And that's a dangerous precedent. I think that, that, gets, that takes you down a really dangerous road. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that, that's sort of the operating pres- presumption of a lot of the censorship movement or the content moderation movement is just that people are, are so, they, they so lack the ability to resist propaganda or rhetoric that they'll, they'll fall victim to any idea that they see. And I, and I and I get it coming. I, I get where that side comes from coming, you know, after watching, you know, Donald Trump win an election. I get like that mentality. Like you have to understand something in order to change it. Right. So I have to force myself to try to always understand everybody's viewpoints. And I think that's another thing that we don't do enough is, is standing in other people's shoes. So, I mean, I get their fear and that and where that ugly thought comes from. Um, but to me. Well, that, that you're just putting a bandaid on the problem. The real problem, if you're worried about people falling for propaganda or, or, or falling for snake oil salesmen like a Donald Trump or whoever, uh, teach people critical thinking skills. Spend the right. time and energy to educate your populace to be able to better understand what is fact from fiction or, or who is trying to sell them some bullshit. But nobody wants to do that because that's a harder problem to solve. Exactly, exactly. And, uh well, let's let's take some questions. I mean, I think there, uh, there's some things I would still like to ask. I mean, about the the, the end of RT America. Like, uh, I mean, I have some outstanding questions. Like, did the United Please. States government make, make a uh, a phone call to any of those? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware. Yeah. Oh, oh, about a phone call to the to those networks and things like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like Directv, or was it just peer pressure? I mean, who knows? You know. Who knows? And at the same time, look, we have to admit. Putin made the worst fucking decision he could ever goddamn make in that oh, situation. Of yeah, you know, no. like I under and I've and I've seen Ukraine on fire. I know what the U.S. did in Ukraine. I understand all that, but at the same time, he still made the horrible move to do that because he lost one thing. The one thing that I'll give, whether you agree with Vladimir Putin or not, for a long time he trolled the U.S. brilliantly because he would kind of take this position to reveal their own hypocrisy. But then when he kind of then essentially pulled an Iraq, well, not literally, but then essentially invaded and did what they wanted him ultimately to do, well, then he lost all standing. Right, yeah. I mean, I, you know? it, it, the move was illogical on a number of fronts. I still I still haven't worked out in my head exactly what, what, what that was about. And we, we may never know. I mean, yeah. but anyway, let's, let's, are you up for a couple of questions? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's see who's out there. Okay. Uh, looks like John is up first. John, are you there? you got to unmute yourself. No? Uh-oh, John. One, going twice. All right. We will try uh, Kevin. Are you there? Kevin, can you? Are, if you're there, you gotta unmute yourself. Yeah, the algorithm always like screws up sometimes, where it's like then they it takes them a minute. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, Look at this. Now the audience is censored. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, I'm going to move on to uh, Douglas. Douglas, are you, are you there, buddy? Help us out. Do you, if you're there, unmute yourself. Is it, the, the, all right, so this is this is where uh, uh, things like this, uh, where you wish you were on talk radio. So there was a producer doing this in the background. Yeah, and exactly. just talk and then whisper in your ear. All right, Douglas is ready. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I always wanted to do sports radio. Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, armchair, you're up. Um, and you, oh, hey, there, there we go. There hey, we go. finally, excellent. Hey, awesome. How's it going? Yes, uh, I'm all right. How are you doing? Good, great. Um, what's up? Yeah, I mean, nothing much. Thanks for taking my call and thanks for doing this. This is a, like really interesting to hear uh, uh, Tyrell's um, experience in RT. Um, I've sort of just to. I guess my question is about the 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 the, the last topic where you dis- were discussing like how you would in your view, how it should be, um, you know, that, that there shouldn't be censorship and there shouldn't like, you know, RT shouldn't be taken down. And I, and I agree with that, but at the same time, um, you know, I'm also a little bit kind of, uh, on the fence on, on this issue, because I think that at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. You know, we, a lot of people in the U S they don't have those, those, you know, critical skill thinking skills that they should have mm-hmm. but because of you know because of shitty education they just don't and so they uh they wouldn't go and uh, research every claim they see uh but at this and so on that given that i think to a certain extent some uh interference from the government could be justified like for example the way like the way they uh, labeled RT, um, you know, as a, basically as a foreign actor, um, without necessarily banning it, but just letting people know that it's, you know, when they're watching it, that it's, you know, it's, it's funded by the Russian government and that it's ed- editorially controlled by the Russian government. So, wh- what do you think about that? Is that for you a step too far as well, or is that appropriate given, you know, the nature of a channel like it? Um, what do you think about that, uh, yeah, Tyrell? Do you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, one, I can, I can, I can tell you that from my end, I never, I never saw an editorial control from Moscow. Like, I, I never saw like, you know, there were, I never saw a red phone that like, you know, where it's like, hey, man, do this. And, and and at the same time, I never really saw what I talked about at MSNBC, where there was that kind of unspoken thing. I mean, maybe in other shows or other situations uh, that I wasn't a part of that that may have existed. So I can't speak to the network as a whole. Um, but in my experience, I never felt any pressure editorial control from Moscow, uh, in terms of putting a label on something. Um, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I lived with that label for a long time. So honestly, it didn't really get in the way of me doing business. Uh, if a society says, Hey, we want to label something for educational purposes to say, Hey, uh, this content's coming from China, this content's coming from Russia, this content's coming from the Democrats, this content's coming from the Republicans, you know, or whatever, however you want to label things at the end of the day. Um, if it's done in an, if it's done for educational purposes, great. Uh, if it's done to scare people, uh, you know, maybe there's a debate to be had there. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
I go back and forth about this because, um, you know, in, in general, I, I don't think the government really should have uh, a regulatory role when it comes to media content. Right. Um, exactly. You know, I, 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 if 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 it does, I think it has to be extremely rare. And there and there are some cases where where there are regulatory issues with media content. Like for instance, you know, somebody who's talking up a stock really ought to disclose that they're invested in it, right? Yes. Like, I, oh yeah. yeah. I can I can see something along those lines. Like one of the generals who has a job at Raytheon now getting on and talking about, oh, we really need this big arms deal to go through and and things of that nature. (laughs) Or if you're going to put a label on everything, label everything. Don't just selectively label. Meaning if if you're going to label things as being from a foreign news agency, then label everything. Like then the BBC should have that label too. Right. right. So then that way everybody knows, okay, I, what I'm tuning into here is from China or, or Thailand or wherever. Not that you wouldn't figure that out on your own, but you know, you, you, I, I could understand if it was across the board. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, I think that's, a, that's, that's the problem I have with a lot of content moderation is that it's just not applied evenly. It, it, it'd be impossible to imply, uh, most, uh, content moderation ideas. Well, plus it gets it, it gets tricky too, Matt, because then you get into the other issue of when you talk about like, well, who's getting funded? You know, uh, you know how networks are funded and things like that. I mean, if you go back to the movie Network, they kind of pulled back the curtain on that back in the '70s. That a lot of the major corporations that let's say own uh, MSNBC or or you know major networks or movie companies and things like that. If you drill down and find out, well, where are they actually getting their money outside of just the receipts they pull in? Uh, they could be getting their money from a from a foreign business or a foreign guy, you know a foreign entity. You know how much Absolutely. money do you think the Saudis have invested in in different uh, media organizations and things like that? You know that doesn't necessarily mean that they're controlling it, but. <laughs> it's like there's still that level of like, you know, even if you go down that road of saying, okay, well, any company that gets foreign money, well, hell, I mean, that could be all of them when you, when, you know, once you really drill down and follow where money comes from when it comes to like stock portfolios and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting when Elon Musk tried to buy Twitter and it suddenly came out in the newspaper that the largest shareholder in the company was like a Saudi so- sovereign wealth fund. And, you know, I, I had no idea about that. I mean, like, yeah, it, that's obviously not a traditional media company. It's a media distribution company, really. But still, it, it you know, the, there, there's a lot that, that most media consumers don't know when they're, when they're accessing their content. So it, the, the selectivity of it bothers me a, li- a little bit. But more than that, I, I, I just worry about the precedent of, um, you know, this, this, this apparent new thing where, you know, in an instant, a handful of companies can just vaporize either a channel or even somebody like Alex Jones, who I, you know, I can't stand, uh, and went after me personally. Like it, it was clearly coordinated and, and, and that worries me, you know? Yeah, um, no, it, it is a very real worry. And, and, you know, um, <laughs> It's interesting because as, as as I think about this this you know this subject, it, it's kind of it always kind of circles back to to what we were talking about. Is this, this you have to we have to as a society 
A, we have to understand, look, we're going through growing pains as a society, especially with the advent of social media and being able to communicate with each other on a drop of a hat. So there's going to be growing pains. And, and we just have to kind of keep our collective cool and find our way through it. Plus, when you get into the idea of censorship and, 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 or labeling of things or who's allowed to talk or who's not allowed to talk, and then giving the government, let's say, or a conglomerate of corporations the ability to do that, the scary part of that is, yes, it might be great right now, but if the wrong person gets into office or if, you know, like, like where we feel good about it today, well, guess what? If the wrong, if the wrong people in power, you know, if the wrong group of people take power, well, then they could turn around and use that against us tomorrow. It, it's kind of like Trump and his wall. Uh, I give my dad credit. He, he said a brilliant thing about that when, you know, he had so many, you had half the country or maybe not half, but you had a bunch of people, yeah, oh, we need to build this wall. We build, need to build this wall. And I remember actually on my own show, uh, I had a, a, a young Republican activist on who was really pumping that wall and how we needed it. And I said, well, all right, you build the wall today and everyone's happy. Well, what happens if that, you know, a wall today to keep somebody out can just as easily keep somebody in tomorrow? Right. <laughs> you right. know, and I think you can apply that to a lot of the different things that we're talking about when it comes to uh, the tools of censor censorship. It might feel great today and it might make sense today, but you have to be ready that at some point that same tool could then be turned and used against you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I obviously believe that. I, I, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, a, I always think it, the censorship schemes are usually short-sighted in that respect. But uh, anyway, Armstrong, our, 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 our armchair, thanks so much for the question. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, is it okay? I'm going to think, I think we're going to move on to the next person. If that's cool. Unless you have a follow-up. Cool. Thanks. No, no. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to try William. Are you there? No, William, going once, going twice. Uh, all right, let's try Susan. We'll Susan, are you there? Pops through here. <laughs> yeah, again, I always wanted. I always wanted to do uh, sports radio because Did I always you? wanted to be like Ray and Waltham. First time, long time, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, I also have to ask you too, Matt. You told me uh, as you pull up more potential people here. Uh, you watched Predator again last night, did you? I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that movie, I, and and I uh, I put that in the in the interview as well. By the way, Lee, you're up. Uh, if um, if uh, you can unmute yourself. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Hey, I love the Taibi and Ventura families, and I appreciate you all hanging in there and finding a way to keep Substack going. I mean, do you feel that Substack could become threatened? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, uh, you've Tyrell, long, you, well, you've been here longer, Matt, so I, I <laughs> you've been on Substack yeah. longer. <laughs> so, Lee, th thank you. That, that's a great question. Um, Substack is obviously booming right now. Uh, it's doing tremendously well financially. Uh, you know, it quadrupled its paid subscriptions last year. That's probably going to change a little bit now since the economy's tightened um, um, some. Uh, and there's there's eventually going to be a saturation point. 
but there's no question there have been dozens of stories uh, in kind of the major ma- mainstream press in the last year or so suggesting that that Substack is uh, you know a haven for uh, dangerous ideas, for transphobic ideas, for um, for nationalist ideas, and you know in, in that environment. You can't just think that's idle talk because, uh, look, there, there's there's already been significant action taken against companies that that don't moderate content in the way that a lot of people like. So yeah, I, I do worry about it. I, I have absolute confidence in the in the people who run this company. Um, you know, Chris Best and Hamish McKenzie uh, and Lulu. I mean, I I I, I know those people. They're absolutely committed to free speech um but it may not be up to them i don't know what's what's your what's your thought tyro well i hope not i mean i I, gosh i hope the venturas coming on here don't don't bring them out uh, you know i hope that i hope that we're not the uh the 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 unlucky penny that keeps turning up and then things get shut down um but uh no i mean i you know it it i put it to like this i think that I look at things like this and, and maybe it's because I've been here a while or whatever. Everything kind of comes in waves and it's always a pendulum and it just depends on how big that wave gets, but it always then rolls back and you know, where we're going with society and things like that at the end of the day, it ultimately still as much as like Matt or myself or others will, will rail against the amount of unwanted control of our politics, whether that be through money or, or through other, you know, other means. Ultimately, still, I do believe that this country and the, the products it consumes or supports and things like that, ultimately, it is still up to all of us. It is still up to all the people. Um, history has proven that over and time and time again. Uh, so really, I think it ultimately just comes down to, if it comes down to a, a support it's it's how many people will speak out against something being taken down and how many people will speak out for it and if it does get taken down will there will there be those multitudes and throngs of people saying no we want this so we will find another place to have it i think they're never going to silence it you know ultimately uh you know maybe that's too broad of a of a response in terms of substack no, specifically no. but but you know ultimately no matter what people are i believe are suckers for the truth um, and so they will seek it out wherever it goes, even no matter how much, you know, it, it, you know, how much governments or corporations or whoever else tries to kind of whack-a-mole it quiet. Um, you know, I don't know if we're quite at that level yet in the U.S., but, uh, you know, definitely the pendulum swings. <laughs> you, you know, you'd, you'd look around the landscape and say, oh, boy, we are drifting real deep into a very icky territory. Um but again, that can that can change through time and through energy and through effort and through people saying no. I'm comfortable with 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 hearing somebody say positive things and also hearing somebody say detestable negative things. I want to be able to hear both. And ultimately, it comes down to you. Turn it off if you don't like hearing it. Don't listen to it. You know, I mean, that's ultimately in the old days what used to decide what who got hurt and who didn't get hurt. We're just kind of going through this thing right now where. Like I said, we're, we're in a weird place where we've suddenly allowed everybody to have a voice. So we're in that growing pains of what happens when that when that's allowed. 
you know, what, what happens when suddenly we have social media and everybody can tweet or say something at any given time or anybody can start a, a Substack page or things like that. So we're just going through those growing pains and I think eventually we'll even out and we just have to have hope and faith and, and the activism to keep that, to keep free speech alive. Well, in the, in the spirit of all that, and Matt, excuse me for interrupting you, hold, no. hold that thought. I'm among your ageless audience who I'll forget my thought. If I don't spit it out, I have a request, but I want to hear what you were going to say. But I, I have a request out of, this is out of, you know, love of your mission. Um, and Matt, I mentioned previously that I took me years to get one of your books into my book group. And here's a do- dozen gals whose husbands are all pillars of the community. None of them are either R or D, but you all are up against some massive tribalism. And I, I'm really counting on you all to help us save the world because <laughs> there's, there are so few who are courageous enough to speak truth and to do it in a way that's um, appealing. Um, Tyrell, you know, I have appreciated your dad for years. I'm not as familiar with what you're doing, but, you know, but he's, you know, you can see where maybe he would have a narrower audience historically just because he used some pejorative to describe gays and predator decades ago, you know, like there's a bunch of nonsense that goes on, but that's part of the tribalism is people don't want to speak up in a group because they know they'll get excluded just because they are independent thinkers and it has financial consequences because your husbands aren't going to refer business to each other. I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot about following the money and Matt, that's where, and this would be true, you know, for both of your families, you under you studied for many years about the financial industry and you know, I mean, I've got unenforceable agreements of millions of dollars because of offshore money myself. So, and it hurts a lot. And it's because I, I refuse to be complicit, but there's a lot of that in the world and, and it's global. And now we're money laundering through this Ukraine war and we're all going to, you know, go up and smoke pretty quick if people don't start listening to you. So in the spirit of wanting people to listen to you, anytime you can figure out, see, because for instance, the example of the book group, well, Lee if, if MSNBC and CNN and the Washington Post and New York Times, all these things that they all listen to are just theater, what do we do? And then I try to send the ones who actually want to listen. Matt, it's usually something like that's a YouTube of yours. Because already the Hate Inc. book, they just all were all in a tither about it. You know, <laughs> because they're marinated in Rachel. You know, right. they're, they're, they're just marinated. I mean, it's, it's neuroscience, basically. And plus, you don't want to say anything. I mean, people get really upset when you say anything like, will Hillary ever go away? You know, you can't do, you know, or, or Kissinger's award, even though even Kissinger's saying, hey, we got to like nip this in the bud a little bit, little bit. I mean, it's not too late. Even Kissinger, who, you know, in my book is, you know, a psychopath, but uh, so if yeah. you have anything that I can forward for free, yeah. because I'm already don't have the money to be given $50 subscriptions to a dozen people, but I've even screenshot some of your stuff and, and I, and some of your, you know, Matt, you're actually such a good speaker. I mean, you both are, but I'm just saying, Matt, I've known your work longer. 
you're really credible when you speak. I mean, and you're a gentleman. I mean, all of y'all are, but I'm just saying I'm more familiar with it. Your history, Matt. I mean, you're totally a gentleman and, and you're still fun and you still can say things that are provocative and whatever else, but you're honest and you have a humility. And that's the stuff for these gals who are listening to who's that Richardson gal. I mean, she's lovely and she's a good historian, but she doesn't, she's living in rural Maine with her lobsterman partner. She doesn't know about war. She knows the history. She wrote that. She it sounds like somebody tried to get her to write the book about how the South won the Civil War. And, you know, it's kind of mediocre, I guess. But that doesn't have anything to do with the urgency of now. So right. thank you. Anytime, like Sam Harris, Harris, who, you know, I have mixed feelings about him, but he did a, a no paywall thing that I sent around, even though he's such a whiny guy and he's 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 mean to know. I don't like that he's mean to Noam Chomsky, but about the guns. And I sent that around. Um, but anytime you all can do something that I want you to get paid, but I'd want these other people to pay for your subscriptions. And we need, they want an alternative to the mainstream media. Well, th- thank you. Thank you, Lee, for, for saying all those uh, incredibly kind things. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. I mean, I, I, look, I think that tribalism, just, just to quickly address one, one part of um, your comment, since I, since I wrote Hate Inc., um, I've, I've really come around to the idea that the divisiveness of media and, and politics, for that matter, is, is kind of intentional um, because most of America has a lot in common. They've all been ripped off over and over again in these right. bubble financial schemes. And one way to keep people from uh, sort of grabbing pitchforks together is to have them at each other's throats, and I, I so I, I do think that there's a utility in in not allowing people to communicate with each other or not or not encouraging them to do that. So that's right. Um, I, I, I I think that's why the I don't know Tyrell. I mean, maybe well, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because it, a yes, we we've been very much kind of. I, I, you know, I, I think you actually wrote brilliantly about it in Hate Inc. That kind of tribalism that they're pushing because you know they want us all rooting for our favorite sports teams because again that that brings us ratings, right? They want to have the conflict on TV because people yeah. they believe people tune into that conflict and that get, gets them going, gets the serotonin going, right? Um, they're you know essentially every 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 political news broadcaster now has to be Stephen A. Smith. Um, <laughs> you know they would love that. You know. Um, uh, you know, I think that it's interesting because you also have to take under consideration too, is that we are all also like Matt and myself. And I, I imagine people listening, we're also news junkies to a certain degree. Uh, as I think Hunter S Thompson kind of referred to it at one point, you know, we love we're, we, we, we get juice from that. Right. The interesting thing that I noticed is that when you actually look at the ratings of like cable news, it's not that great. Uh, when you really think about the amount of people in the United States, um, when you're talking about, even if you get a million people watching your show every night or 5 million people watching your show every night, that's 5 million out of 300 million people that, you know, that's, and, and they're lucky if they even get those numbers. Trust me. They're, they're a lot of times just in the six digits. No, yeah, nobody gets five. No, that's uh, what I mean. Like nobody, you know, yeah. you know, um, so you're also talking about a very, it's easy to kind of, and, and this is one of the problems in Washington on a political level too, but it's very easy to also get wrapped up in our own bubbles. 
and, and not right. be able to see That's outside right. of that bubble. And That's even right. if you're in the right, even if, even if you're like all the three of us talking where we're trying to do, we can also get wrapped up into our own bubbles and not see outside of that bubble. And I think my father's career is a good example of, of and I, I'll use him as an example because I love him, but part of the, your job as a human being, as a citizen, is to, is to, if you feel that bubble kind of coming around where you're in that, your own echo chamber, even if it's all good stuff that you like, that, that makes sense, that is calling out hypocrisy, you still, you don't want to insulate yourself. You always want to be a free-thinking person and, and, and constantly be pushing in that direction because that will help get rid of a lot of that tribalism uh, that we're kind of feeding on right now uh, and that we've been conditioned to believe. Um, but if you go to, I, I, you know, I've moved back to Minnesota now out of Washington, and, and yes, there are still very much pockets of that tribalism here. You do feel it. You do see it. But even then, people on the street, they still talk to each other by and large. You know, but we don't see that because that's not what's being reflected back to us through our through our media. Right. All right. Lee, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, say hello to your book club for me. <laughs> I sure will. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Tyrell. Yeah, thank you. Tyrell, is it okay? You got time for one more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Excellent. Let's see if, um, let's see who it is. It looks like Ian, maybe? Ian, are you there? Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Wow. Hello. Look, first, first time. Excellent. Yes. How's it going, Ian? Oh, it's going good. I'm really excited. Uh, I've been a long time listener, first time caller, big time, big time Matt Taibbi fan. I've been reading oh, your stuff since you. like, uh, was it 28, 2008, financial collapse and all the HSBC nonsense? Was, uh, <laughs> that was a great case. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I yeah. just feel like uh, nothing's changed. The same story keeps getting repeated. Things keep getting worse. Just uh, watching it all slide. It's it's strange, you know, to, to see these corporations be convicted of crimes, but there's no real punishment, no real enforcement. Nothing comes of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Uh, I'm writing I'm writing a book now about COVID era financial scams, and I mean, I, and this this gets back to what what Lee was talking about too. I, I think I think one of the reasons that um, we've had this sort of rising level of anger towards the two party system is that we keep seeing the same stuff happen over and over again. And it's always kind of the smaller retail consumer or the retail investor who gets killed uh, in every financial catastrophe. And I think we're about to have another one that frankly, that's going to be based on this uh, cryptocurrency crash. Um, You know, it has a lot in common with, there, there are a lot of similarities, not with crypto, which I, I actually think is a really fascinating and exciting technology. Um, and But I think the, the, a lot of the same players who appeared in 2008 um, are suddenly swirling around uh, some of the bad faith efforts in that market. And I guarantee you what's going to happen uh, if there's a huge market correction is that you're going to see another widening of the wealth gap uh, because all the people who, who made money in the last two years uh, will have cashed out. And the people who, are, who, are, who will get beat in the end are the people who always get, who always lose, which are like the sort of working and middle class people. And um, yeah, so I worry about that a lot. I think, I think that's, a, that's a, a common pattern. And 
the inability of politicians to recognize that people people get upset about like how, how angry people get about that. Um, I don't know, Tyrell. I mean, you, your your father. I, I think his career is a reflection of that to me. To me, like mm-hmm. uh, people were fed up, right? I mean, oh, like, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that you you we talked about it in the interview yesterday, and in the article that you put out today is is that you know he got elected because of of people being fed up and 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 wanting some kind of change and and just wanting some kind of breath of fresh air, even if they didn't agree with Jesse on all of his stances. It, it's it's kind of like you wrote at the end of your piece of you know. Would you would you rather have an honest wrestler, you know, or you know someone who's getting their money from from Goldman Sachs and Raytheon, you know, a corrupt politician right. who's lying to you, and you know I, I you know, yeah like that there is that people are they I think right now people are really desperate to want to find someone to kind of go you know fight back against that on a on a, on a national level or even on a city or state level, and they're hungry for it. Um, the key to that then is if you do elect somebody, if you can break through that wall and you do elect that person to represent you on that level, who's going to fight for you and, and represent that disenfranchisement you're talking about and be out there for this, for legitimately out there for the small businesses and things of that nature, you know, you, you then have to continue the support beyond just your initial vote. Uh, one of the things that happened to Jesse that really hurt him as the as the four years went on is a lot of people who voted for him said, "Okay, well, I did my job. I voted for him. Move, you know, Jesse, go handle it." And when you elect a populist candidate, you have to maintain that popularity because that that will then force them to fear them. Does that make sense? Like it, you know, you have to yeah. keep that amount of activism behind that candidate uh, alive even after you elect them or even if it's not a candidate, let's say it's a social movement or whatever, you have to keep that momentum going even after the, the cameras have turned off. Um, you know, one of the, the, you know, if we don't have that, then you're just going to see history repeat itself over and over and over again. But also, like, you know, one of the things that I did on my show that I think is very important for people to remember is it's not all bad, meaning at the end of every show, I always tried to, put a piece of news on, you know, because I had to spend a half hour probably talking about just really depressing shit um, that that gets you angry or gets you sad or just, God, the world's going to end. We are, there are still people out there doing magnificent things. There are actually still companies or small businesses and, and groups of people doing magnificent things. They just don't get the play. So it's very easy to kind of be, get seduced by the cynicism of it all um, and, yeah. and feel that there's no hope. Uh, there's always hope. It doesn't just go away because uh, you know uh, the the news network said it did, or the or your favorite poli- or your dec- your politicians kind of breed on that and, and use that fear uh, to get elected. It, it, there is still hope. I, yeah. I, I always found that that was the most in, one of the most interesting taboos in media, which is good news. Yeah. Like it, 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 you, I'm, I'm, uh, if if you read books by people like Steven Pinker. Um, you know, he'll, he'll give you this wealth of statistics about how life is improving in 90 different ways. Um, and we don't talk about it because it, it doesn't sell. What, sell. what sells is anger and, um, and division and, and negativity. And as a result, I mean, I, I, 
look, it, there are a lot it, of problems in this country that are real, but but we, yeah. we also are, are making ourselves crazy too. Which oh yeah, other... it's interesting, Matt, because I actually was able. I, I remember I went into the to the to the news director at RT and, and said, "Hey, once a month, just for my own, just so I'm not depressed all day long, because it's hard doing that job because you you are you're kind of swimming in the worst aspects of of, of modern humanity when you're doing the job. I'm sure you kind of feel that way at times too, Matt." Um, you know, uh, I went to him and said, look, can I at least do one show a month or I want to do one show a month where, uh, it's just a half hour of great, happy news, you know, <laughs> a half hour featuring people doing amazing things and not just rescuing the dog out of the tree or, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, but like, no, literally like finding people who are out there doing things that are changing the world and focusing on what they're doing or a company or whatever. And they did give me carte blanche to do that. You know, and cool. so we we tried to every month at least do one show that was just nothing but positivity, and it was amazing the feedback you'd get of people writing you saying thank you, thank you for giving me a show that actually made me feel like there is good in the world still. Wow, I should try that. I've never I've, I've never done that, but uh, <laughs> excellent. Ian, where are you by the way? I'm in Buffalo, New York. Oh man, I used, to, I used to live in Buffalo. Whereabouts? Um, I just bought a house, uh, right in the, sort of the town of Tonawanda. So right yeah, by no, UB no. South campus. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. I just bought a house too. Hey, well, congratulations <laughs> to you. Yeah. Excellent. So um, who, who's this leader? Like, who, you know, cause I just feel like, uh, all the things that we're talking about, you know, people do have a lot of anger and emotions and nowhere no real outlet to put those things and i feel like that's why you see people like trump stepping up mm -hmm. and capitalizing on on those sorts of opportunities um so you know it's i feel like it's possible for him to to make a comeback or or to create another wave of of whatever you know political mania that he's already you know been been kind of fomenting but uh I mean, on the other side, where, where do you find a leader to get behind? You know, where are these people that, that you can support? Because I feel like they're all disappearing. And especially with this whole the war thing brewing, you know, you, you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the true colors on the people who are supposed to be these kind of populist candidates and representing the people in the streets. And, you know, they're just kind of turning turning their backs to you. Oh, that's, that, that's a that's a great that's a great question, uh, Ian, and, and very very, you know, I think like there's two things that I can I can look at that and and at least give my humble opinion on it. And and one is uh, a if you want to change the system, uh, one thing that's very that we all get seduced by. I'm a victim to it too. Is we get very much seduced by the national scene, right? Like who's the senators, who's the, the you know, who's in Congress, who's the president. Um, if you truly want to change society and, and at least your neighborhood, people have to start putting more energy and effort and, and, and looking at local elections. Um, because truly that's where you're going to see the first kind of waves of change ferment. Uh, because you're gonna, it's going to affect you right away. Uh, what, what Washington does affects you, but it, it still has to tumble down a very long hill before it reaches you. Whereas what your local city hall does, what your governor does, what your state legislature does, that's going to hit you first. Or your county commissioners. Um, people need to now more than ever not be looking for another Jesse Ventura or a Bernie Sanders. 
they need to start looking within themselves and saying, and I know it's tough because times are tough, but they have to start looking in themselves and saying, all right, what can I do for the public good in my own life? You know, what do, do I want to run for a seat on my city council? Do I want to take part in this? Do I want to do that? And it's got to start there, number one. Um, the other thing, too, and, and maybe people will get really angry at me for saying this or not, but we also have to be careful with what our litmus tests are for. It doesn't mean don't hold people accountable if they reverse an opinion or they don't say anything when they should. You continue hold, holding people accountable. But it also doesn't mean that the moment one politician you believed in makes a decision that goes against something that you believe in, that then you write that person off just because of their one mistake. Um, because they might still be 40% or 60 or 70% of, of why you voted for them in the first place. That might still exist. Now, if they consistently over and over show you their true colors, that they're not going to do what they said that they were going to do, okay, yeah, then toss that person aside. But I think one of the problems that you have a lot of times, especially with, with like, you know, uh, populist politicians, and especially with the tribalism today, and I've, I've seen it especially on the left, that if one, if a person doesn't, try to appease every single thing, uh, well, then that person's a sellout. I see it with my dad all the time. If somebody suddenly, if he does something that one, per, if he does, if he makes one statement that he believes in that somebody disagrees with, well, then suddenly he, we got to toss him out. It's like tossing the baby out with the bathwater or tossing, you know, the bathwater out with the baby. You know, we have to kind of really not fall victim to that tribalism ourselves, even if it's, even if it's for the, the best of causes. Is that, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Yeah, and, and, and Tyrell, just quickly, I, I just want to make one observation before I sign off. But, but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like go, go away from local elections, I do think that there's like a lot of cause for optimism on the national level, not because I see any potential leaders out there. In fact, I... I like I've, it's never been worse as far as I'm concerned in terms of, in terms of that. But the 2016 and 2020 uh, elections were both incredibly important as like a proof of concept for um, uh, is an, an independent populist, you know, l- legitimately civic minded person getting elected to the presidency. I think Trump proved something very important, um, which is that. Uh, is anybody who has good media skills uh, is able to get enough coverage to win the presidency mm-hmm. um, because the media, for all of its biases, is unable to resist a good story. Um, and that was how he won, despite being outspent. The other thing was, was Sanders in 2020. Um, you know, Bernie's a candidate who didn't take money from mm-hmm big companies, which I think is going to have to be a prerequisite for any kind of real uh, politi- politician is going to bring about real change. But he was the leading fundraiser in the, tw- in the 2020 primary race, um, which had never happened before and was always the major argument for why you needed to take the money from Pfizer and Goldman and Chase and all these horrible mm-hmm. companies. Um, you know, Bernie proved you don't have to do that. Yep. So... I think between those between those two uh, episodes, what it shows is that um, anybody who's honest has good media skills, um, you know, and and has a vision, uh, has a path to the presidency now. 
right? And and I and I think that that's kind of amazing, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we just got to find the right person. Yeah. No, I can I completely agree. That's that's you're you're dead on point there. If anything, those la- these last few elections have shown that that actually the the doorway is is probably more wide open than it's been in a long time. Right. Exactly. I like that silver lining. That's a good dose of optimism. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. don't just just because well, your candidate loses, like you know, all the Bernie supporters out there. Think, just because somebody loses, it doesn't you you know, it doesn't mean that's the end. Like I know it's a lot of disenfranchisement because it's like, man, we keep losing, we keep losing, we keep losing. That can be part of the change. It's no different than I hate to use the metaphor, but it's no different than sports. You know, Boston Celtics could not get to the NBA Finals for a lot of conference. You know, <laughs> losing a lot in the conference finals. Now they're there. You just have to keep grinding and just having that stamina because eventually it'll pay off. Uh, well, on that note, uh, <laughs> excellent, uh, Ian. Thanks so much for the question and for the uh, the uh, a chance uh, giving us a chance to sign off on an, opti- on an optimistic note. Tyrell, thanks so much for coming uh, for coming on. Thank you. And um, tell, can tell people where they can find your uh, where, your site. Yeah, yeah. Uh, die first, then quit on Substack, obviously. And then, you know, me and Jesse are pretty easy to find on, on, on Twitter and all of that and all the social media stuff. There's not many Jesse Venturas and Tyrell Venturas out there. Um, I'm <laughs> proud of the fact that I don't have a blue check mark uh, next to my name on Twitter. They never take me. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> but no, that's where you can find us. Die first, then quit on Substack. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks a lot, everybody. Really appreciate you coming by, and uh, I'll do another one of these soon. So, um, and apologize for being scarce in recent uh, weeks, but uh, but I'm going to be doing more of these. So, th- thanks so much.